Well, my name is Caleb Nichols. If I've never met you before, I'd love to do that after our, after our time here tonight. And um, we're going to be continuing on in this series that we're calling Undercover Priests. We're calling it Undercover Priests. And the whole idea of this series is this, is that the Bible would tell us in God's Word we read that we're, a, we're what's called a kingdom of priests. So that means that any of us in here tonight, any of us who would, who would call ourselves a follower of Jesus, so we're a disciple of Jesus, we, we're part of the church, we follow Jesus. Any of us who would claim that tonight, we're what's called a kingdom of priests. And um, we have all we have these all these other things wrapped up in our identity as well, which are which are good things, right? So we have we have jobs and relationships and all those different things. So some of those we might have is some of us might be students, right? We might be going to school, learning, getting ready for our careers, things like that. Some of us might be, you know, we might be an engineer. We might and we design things and we and we build things. Or we might be a you know we, we might be a city worker and we fix the streets, or we might be a machinist, and, and we, we build things and we run programs on big machines, or we might be teachers in, in public schools and private schools or colleges, we might be teachers, we might be, we might be factory workers, and we're putting different things together, we might be moms and dads, I'm, I'm a dad, that's part of who I am, that's part of my identity, right? We might be moms and dads and, and children, we might be you know, cousins and neighbors and all of those different things, but really none of those things are really our true identity. They're things that we do and they're relationships that we have, but are not our, they're not our true identity. Our true identity from what we read in God's word is that we're priests of God or priests of Jesus. And there's something uh, Pastor Jeff said last week I want to read for us. He said this, he said, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be restless and uneasy until you embrace your identity in Jesus as a priest. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be restless and uneasy until you fully embrace your identity as a priest of Jesus. You'll be restless and uneasy. And I think that's, I think that's huge. I think it's really important. And the reason that we'll be, we'll be restless and we'll be uneasy if we don't embrace that identity is it's because what God has called us to do. God has called us to be his priests. And until we, we take that on and we own that, we're going to continue to be restless and uneasy. And uh, just a little bit about a priest. Um, the, kind of the basics of it is this. As priests, we have a special connection to God. Like we have this like special connection and special access to God as his priests. That's one side of it. And then the other side is we also have a special connection to the people around us. So we walk around on this planet, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, as priests of God and representatives of God to the people around us. So we're, we have this special connection to God, this special relationship to him, and then also as priests of God, we help connect the people around us to a relationship with God. So if you have your, if you have your Bibles, um, you can flip them over to 1 Peter chapter 2 real quick. And we've been looking at this text. We looked at it last week. We'll look at it again for a minute tonight. It's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can actually pop up your hand. We have a bunch at the back table over here, and we'll get you one. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll get you one. But it's 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 4 through 10. And this is where we get the idea of being a kingdom of priests. So Peter wrote this in verse 4, 1 Peter 2, verse 4. He says this. He says, as you, that's us, that's you and me, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, as we come to Jesus, the living stone 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is where we get it right here. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So if we trust in him, we'll never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone, that's, that's Jesus, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So what Peter's saying there, kind of in a nutshell, he's saying, look, like to those of us who claim Jesus as our Savior, he has become the foundation of our lives. He's become the cornerstone. We build all of our lives off of what he's done for us. But to those who reject his message, he's actually become a stumbling block. People will trip over him because they refuse to believe the message. Keep going with verse 8. It says, They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And then verse 9 is kind of what we're keying in on for this series. But you, that's you and that's me, anyone who's a follower of Jesus here tonight, but you are a chosen people. We're chosen by God. A royal priesthood. We're in God's kingly line. He's the king of the universe, and we're in his line. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's a called-out nation, a set-apart nation. God's special possession. So any of us who are followers of Jesus, we're God's special possession. He deeply cares for us. He loves us. We're special to him. We're his special possession that you, that's us, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So God has called us to be this kingdom of priests. He's called out ones, this, this holy nation. And the reason he's done that is so we can declare his praises to the people around us, to the people we rub shoulders with, to our natural path of life. We're a kingdom of priests. And then it says in verse 10, once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I, I love that passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's just amazing to think that you and me, all of us here, followers of Jesus, it says we're a chosen people. We're chosen by God, specifically chosen by God. We're a royal priesthood. We're in his kingly line. We're his priests. We're his representatives to the people around us. We're a holy nation. We're set apart. We're his special possession. It's just this amazing thing when we think about it. And I think for me, as I've, I've thought about this and been learning more and more about it, I feel like I'm just beginning to like barely scratch the surface of what it means to be a priesthood of believers, to be called out by God and to be his special possession, to declare his name and all he's done to the people around us. We are a royal priesthood. And I just want us to take a little bit of time tonight and just dig into the idea of a priest and priesthood and what that means. So if you can open up in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 23. Before we go there, I just want to tell you a little bit about the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews we think was written probably somewhere around 30 years after the time of Christ. 30, 30 some years after the time of Christ. So Jesus came 
He came down from heaven. He lived a perfect life without sin. And then he gave his life on the cross for us. He died on the cross for us. And then he went to the tomb. And then he resurrected from the dead. And then he ascended back into heaven. And the book of Hebrews was written about 30-some years, roughly, after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And it was written to the Jewish people. It was written primarily to Jewish Christians. And the reason it was written to them was there's a couple reasons, but the main reason was because the Jewish people were in a time of transition. So if you ever read, if you've ever read the Old Testament at all, the Old Testament's like the, it's like the left two-thirds in your Bible. We call that the Old Testament. If you've ever read the Old Testament at all, and it would also be called like the Old Covenant, if you would have read that at all or know anything about it, you would see what the Jewish people like did and how they interacted with God. They were under something called the Old Covenant. And in this Old Covenant, what they would do, it was, different than, it was different than today, what they would do is they would go to the priest, or they would go to the, they'd go to the temple, or to something called the tabernacle. And when they were there, they would interact with the priest instead of interacting directly with God. So they kind of had this person in between them and God called the priest. And so what they would do, they had all these sins, just like you and I do, all these ways that we, we fall short of the glory of God. They would go into the temple or to the tabernacle, and they would bring a sacrifice to the priest. So you maybe even go with like your whole family and you bring a sacrifice. You'd bring, you'd bring like the best animal that you had, the one that had the least blemishes, and you bring it to the priest. And you had all of these sins that you had committed since last time you had been to the priest. And literally what would happen is you'd bring it to the priest and the priest would kill the animal right in front of you. He would like kill the animal. And you think about it now, it seems like it seems like pretty gruesome because we're not really used to that anymore. And what would happen is you would have all of these sins and it'd be very clear what was happening. You're bringing this animal to the priest and the priest is killing this animal and you're actually seeing the animal's blood flow. It's kind of a covering for your sin. Right? So it was kind of a different, a different system that they were under. And they were used to that. The Jewish people, they had been raised in this system of interacting with God like this. And so Hebrews is written to help them understand that they're moving out of the Old Testament time period, or the Old Covenant, or the old way of interacting with God. And they're moving into like the New Testament, which is the, the right side, the third of your Bible. There is the New Testament, or the New Covenant. And it was written to them to help them understand that all the, even though they were under this old sacrificial system is how they interacted with God, now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, all that has been changed. So you had, this, you had this way of interacting with God where you'd kill these animals and the priest would sacrifice, and you had this priest kind of in between you and God. And now, because Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead, all of that system the Bible says, has been fulfilled. God has come and he's fulfilled all of those sacrifices. It says he was the once and for all sacrifice. He was the last one that ever needed to be sacrificed. And now because of that, we no longer have to have a priest between us and God. We no longer have to sacrifice animals to cover our sin. And that's where we're going to be picking it up in Hebrews chapter 11. It's talking about this very idea of moving from the old covenant to the new covenant. So Hebrews chapter 10 and we'll look at verses 11 through 23. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. The author writes this. It says, Day after day, 
Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the priest, again and again, every day is offering these sacrifices and ultimately can't take away our sins once and for all. He offers these sacrifices, verse 12. But when this priest, and this is talking about Jesus now, but when this priest had offered for all, that's for everyone, for all of us, for all time, one sacrifice for sins. So for all time and for all people, like past, present, and future sins. When he had offered this sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. So after Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and then ascended back into heaven, he sat down beside his Father God because his work was done. Verse 13. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he, that's Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made for holy. Made, made holy. Did you guys catch that? Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he, or Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So by Jesus' one sacrifice, his one sacrifice for all time and for all believers, He's made us holy, and he's made us perfect before the eyes of his Father God. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. I love that, man. Their sins and their lawless acts, all the ways that we've fallen short of what God has for us. He's going to remember them no more. That's amazing. Verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Because of what Jesus has done, his once-for-all sacrifice, further sacrifices for sin are no longer necessary. And that passage is interesting to me. It's fascinating. It says, every day, day after day, again and again and again, priests offer these sacrifices that can never ultimately take away sins. But Jesus' one sacrifice for all of us completely eliminates the need for that system anymore because he's come, and because of his sacrifice, he's cleansed us from our sins. Sacrifice is no longer necessary. It's just an amazing thing to think about. Let's go over to verse 19 in Hebrews. That same chapter, verse 19, says this. It says, therefore, and the therefore means it's, talk, it's referring back to everything we just read. So because of what Jesus did, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, that's us, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We'll come, we'll come back to that idea of the most holy place. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled, that's sprinkled with Jesus' blood, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. 
And I love that in verse 19 about we now have the confidence to enter the most holy place. So if we kind of rewind back to the Old Testament again for a minute, in the Old Covenant, like we keep talking about, there was a sacrificial system we talked about, and you'd have to go to the priest. There's another thing that happened, too. Inside the temple or the tabernacle, there was a place that was called, you'd, you'd enter in and there was a place that was called the holy place. Okay, It was called the holy place, but then there was another place further inside the temple that was called the most holy place. And what was interesting about the most holy place and pretty amazing about it is God actually dwelt there. God's presence was in the most holy place in the temple. So if you wanted to go and interact with God, the only way to have like true interaction with him, to be in his presence, was to enter the most holy place. But the problem was... There was only one man that could enter the most holy place. There was one person who could do it. He was called the high priest. And he could only enter the holy place one time a year. So there was one man who could enter the most holy place, and he could do it one time a year. But in verse 19, let me read that again for us. Hebrews 10, verses, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So before, under the old covenant, only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and he could only go in there one time a year for a special sacrifice. But because of what Jesus has done for us, now all of us who are followers of Jesus can enter the most holy place. We can actually like go before God's throne before his throne room any time we want without fear of our lives. If we would have done that under the old covenant, we would have been dead. But now, because of God's mercy and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can enter the most holy place any time we want. And then if you look at verse 20, it says, By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. That's referring back to when Jesus died on the cross. He said something. He said, it is finished. When he actually died, he said, it is finished. And he was referring to his work of, of making a way of salvation for us. When he did that and when he died, there was, there was this big curtain that separated the most holy place in the temple from everything else. There was this gigantic curtain there. And the moment Jesus died, the Bible tells us that curtain was torn in two. And it symbolized that now all of us as followers of Jesus have direct access to God. We can go right before God the Father through Jesus, the creator of the heavens and earth, the one who created us all, the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one, the all-powerful one, and we can interact with him directly anytime we want. It's just this amazing, amazing thing to think about. And I, I know for many of us, that, if, especially if you've been raised in the church like I have, I know you're like, yeah, I've heard all this before. I, I know this, right? Like, intellectually, I know that I can go before God and I can pray anytime I want and blah, 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 blah. I heard all this in Sunday school. Like, a lot of us, we know those things. We know them, like, in our mind and on an intellectual basis. But I think for all of us, I know for me, personally, we, we struggle to actually believe that. We struggle to believe that we're priests of God now and we can have direct interaction with God the Father the creators of the heavens and earth, and we struggle to believe that we are his representatives to the people around us. And I think one of the reasons we struggle is because there's a, there's a really popular kind of misconception out there, and I think it's in a lot of North American churches, probably in a lot of 
a lot of churches all over the place, but it's this big misconception, and it's this idea. It's this idea that there's a separation between what we call the clergy and the laity in the church. You can go ahead and bring that up on the screen for me. Thanks. So this idea that that there's almost like two different classes of people in the church. The class that we call the clergy. You guys, who's heard the word clergy before? You heard that before? Okay. So it's a pretty popular idea. This idea of clergy and what that means that people like pastors and priests and different religious leaders, somehow they have like almost this magical connection to God that nobody else has. And then we have the laity that sits underneath of them, and that's just all the normal people. You have the clergy that somehow have this like magical connection to God, and then you have the laity, and it's this idea that we have to somehow like go through the clergy, or that the, um, that the clergy somehow has like more direct access to God. But it's not, it's not true. Do you, know, do you know the word clergy? It's actually, in, it's actually in the New Testament, the word clergy. But it doesn't have anything to do with someone who's separate from the rest of the people in the church. It has nothing to do with that. Clergy is just simply means all followers of Jesus. All the people that have been called by God to follow him. That's what the clergy means. There's no separation between the clergy and the laity. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how we tend to think, think things like this. I, I struggle with this, too. I'm like, man, what if, you know, there's, I, I need to ask God for a favor. You know, I need, I need something done in my life. I need prayer. Like, and, I, and I have this idea somehow that if I go to Pastor Jeff Martell and he prays for me, everything will change. Like, like he has some magical powers, right? Like if I go, Pastor Jeff, would you, just, would you just pray for me, man? Like I'm struggling with this and I need help. And the reality is he has no more direct access to God than any of us do, right? And I think with other things too, I, I, I struggle with things like this. I'm like, man, if I, could, if I could just get a pastor, you know, to come to my neighborhood, right? I have all these neighbors around me who don't know Jesus and they play loud music and they're on drugs and having all these, their kids are crazy, all this stuff. Man, if I could just get a pastor, one of the members of the clergy to come to my neighborhood and share the gospel with them, they'd probably all get saved, right? But I, I somehow can't do that. Or maybe it's like in our workplace. If we can get a pastor to come to our workplace and, and lead a Bible study, all of those things that we struggle with because of this false idea of the clergy in the laity. I think I think in a lot of ways we just don't feel we just don't feel good enough sometimes. You know, we struggle with all these insecurities. We think that we don't know enough. I struggle with those same things. We think we don't know enough. We don't we don't think we have enough training in the Bible. We think we're not good enough. We think we have all these ways that we've fallen short and for some reason we can't do that anymore. We can't interact with God as his priest. We think that we're not trained enough. We don't have Bible degrees. We think that we're not equipped enough. We think we don't have that direct access to God. And we don't believe that we can reach the world around us. We simply think that, you know, I'm a student. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a teacher. I just clean the roads at night when everyone else is sleeping. I just work in a factory. I'm just a doctor. I'm just a nurse. I'm just a lawyer. Whatever it is, we just think we're like normal people. But what it says in the Bible is that we're all the called out ones. We're all the clergy. And you see this picture right here. This is what's actually true of us. All of us 
Just the normal people of God, normal followers of God had direct access to God. It's not something special for this idea of the clergy. And that whole idea of of laity isn't even in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere. So pastors don't have a special connection to God. I, I definitely believe, and it's true, that people are gifted differently within the church. That's true, and that's awesome. Some people are meant to lead. Some people are meant to teach. Some people are meant to serve. Some people are meant to play music. All of those things, and they're great. But we all have connection to God. right? And we, we tend to think that, man, I'll mess it up. God can't use me. I've sinned too many times. I don't know the right words. I don't talk well enough. All of those things, but they're just not true. And there's this quote I want to pull up on the screen for us. If we could pull it up there. It's guy, there's a couple quotes. It's by a guy named Elton Trueblood, who was a pastor years and years ago. And he has a couple really interesting quotes that I like a lot. The first one is this. He says, he says we don't need to abolish the clergy. We need to abolish the laity. We don't need to abolish the clergy. We need to abolish the laity. And what he's saying is this. When we, when we realize that this idea of a clergy is not even a, a real thing, sometimes it can be like, man, we shouldn't have any pastors. And that's, that's not what we're talking about at all. It's saying that we should abolish this idea of the laity. We should get this idea out of our minds that we're a people that come to church once a week and we listen to the man who's specially connected to God and somehow has magical powers and then we just go and like do our normal thing all week. We need to abolish that idea from our minds. It's actually not biblical. The next one is this. He says, he says, if we could abolish the laity, we would have another great reformation. That's a pretty bold claim. If we could abolish the laity, we would have another great reformation. And you know what? I, I think he's right. I think that's true. I think about it like if we could get all of the people just in this room, just in this service right here, if all of us would interact with God and interact with people as his priests, as his set-apart ones, as his holy nation, as a people belonging to God, called to let people know about God and his story, it would radically change at least the areas that we live in. It would radically change our work, our schools, our neighborhoods, all of those things. So again, in the Old Testament, there was the high priest who could enter the most holy place one time a year for a special sacrifice. But now, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have special access to God's throne room. Anytime we want, we can interact with God. There's another idea we read about in Peter, that passage we read, and it's this idea of being a royal priesthood. This idea of royalty, and I think, I think the idea of royalty, I know at least for me, is kind, of, is kind of a weird thing to picture in my mind, because I don't know any royalty. I don't, I don't know any kings or queens. It's not like a thing that we, that we kind of do in America. It's not something we interact with a lot. But Peter calls us royalty. He says we're royalty, and it's really, really interesting. I mean, when I think about that idea, I think of this guy named King George VI, we can pop his picture up there. <clears throat> Pretty good-looking guy. He's a nice little uh, uniform on there. Um, but he was, he's King George VI. And there's a really interesting story about him. Have you guys... Um, there's a movie called the, the King's Speech that came out a few years ago. And it was all about him. I don't know if some of you guys have seen that or not. But he has a really interesting story. He was, he was in line to be the, the British king. And his, his dad was kind of on his deathbed. And um, he had an older brother, but his older brother kind of screwed some things up. So what happened was he became the next one in line 
to be the king of the British people. But he had a big problem. He had a really, really hard time with stuttering or like a speech impediment. It was so bad that he could barely interact with just one person in a normal conversation. So he had this, he had this major problem because he had to do public speaking a lot because he was the king. And he was also in a time when technology was moving forward at a rapid rate. And they had just come out with this way that he could sit in front of a microphone or stand in front of a microphone and actually address all of his people live, though. It was live to, like, the whole British nation. He could address them. And also what was happening was they were in a war with Germany at the same time. So there's King, there's king George. He's next in line to be the king. His people desperately, desperately need him because they're at war with Germany, and they need him to unite the nation and to give them vision for what can happen on the other side of this war. And finally, if you, if you know the story, if you've seen the movie, we see him. He finally gets the courage to step up to the plate and rule as king. And it unites his people, and everything moves forward in a pretty awesome way. But he struggled, right? There was all of these struggles he had, because he's like, I'm not... I'm not good enough to be the king. I can't even talk to one person. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't speak right. All of these different things. But he had this, this kingship coming. He had this position of royalty that was actually chosen for him. He never asked to be king. It's pretty clear when you like read about him. He did not want to be king. But this position was chosen for him. We see him. He eventually takes it on, stepped up, and amazing things happened. And I think for us, when we think about this idea of royalty, it's the question of this. It's like, it's like, how do we view ourselves? How do you view yourself? How do I view myself? Do you, like, deep down in the inmost parts of you, in, like, your, your heart of hearts and your soul, whatever you want to call it, do you actually believe that God wants a close relationship with you? Do you, do you believe that? Deep down, do you believe that God can use you, even, even though, like, despite your past failures and sins and all of those things? Do you believe that? Do you feel worthy? And to be honest, guys, I, I don't feel worthy either. Every day I struggle with that. And pastors feel the same way. They don't feel, they don't feel worthy every day. I sin every day. I fall short every day. Every single day I disappoint myself and I disappoint God. But that's the whole point of the cross, right? We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God every day. But because of the cross, we can be priests of God. And a huge thing too, guys, it's we don't feel worthy because really we aren't worthy. But the amazing thing is this, and we can pop this quote up on the screen. It's we aren't worthy because of who we are. We're worthy because of what Jesus did for us. So we're not worthy in and of ourselves, right? We all, we all know that. We're not worthy to be priests of God because of who we are. We're worthy because of what Jesus did for us. So again, Jesus, he's God's only son. He was up in heaven ruling with God the Father. He left his throne in heaven, came down, lowered himself to be like us on this earth. He lived a sinless life to kind of show us how to live. And then he died on the cross. And when he did that, he bore all of our sins. So all of our shortcomings, everything we've done wrong in the past and everything we're going to do wrong today and everything we're going to do wrong in the future, God, Jesus took all of that upon himself. And when he died on the cross, wiped our, our, our slates clean. And now we stand before God as righteous. And we can be called priests because of that. We're worthy because of the name Jesus gave us, because we're his we're in his royal line. We're worthy 
because of the name of Jesus. And I just want to read a few verses for us. Uh, it's just some things I grabbed that talk about how we're described in the Bible, how, how you and I are described in the Bible. There's a bunch of them I got here. But the first one is, is we're called his children. So 1 John 3.1 says this. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's you and me. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That's amazing to think about. So we're all children of God. So in the same way a good father or a good mother interacts with their children and loves their children, it's the same way God loves us. It's amazing. The next one is we're called his friends. John 15, 15, Jesus said this, I no longer call you servants. He's talking to us. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. So we're friends of God. The next one is we're called his brothers and sisters. Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus is the firstborn among us, and we're all his brothers and sisters. The next one is we're called co-laborers. This is from 1 Corinthians 3.9. It says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We, we get to work with God in his mission of redeeming the world. And the last one I have here is we can boldly approach. This is from Hebrews 4.16. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can enter God's throne room any time we want. We can go directly before the king of the universe, the one who created us and cares about us, and interact with him. Guys, I think it's, I think when we look at it, it's pretty clear like how the Bible describes us and what God wants for us and what Jesus did for us. But I think we have to, we have to make a decision to step out in faith and actually believe what Jesus has said about us. To believe that we're his priests. To believe that we can directly interact with God, our Father, through Jesus anytime we want. We have to step out in faith and believe it. And once we start believing it, it'll be much, much easier for us to live it. Last thing I want to close with is just this question. Real, real simple. It says, are you leaning into the relationship that God has made available to you? Real simple question. We have direct access to the creator of the heavens and earth. Are you, are you leaning into that relationship? Are you pursuing that relationship? Are you trying to deepen that relationship? And if not, why not? All right, let me pray for us.